Thank you, Caleb. As so happens uh, very often, the uh, laity prayer in an uncoordinated way just, just kind of sets things up perfectly. So we're uh, trusting that God wants to speak to his people, and he does that through uh, many ways, and we're grateful for that. On that note, I just want to extend, even though he's coming to second service, uh, a word of thanks to Kent Ruffin, uh, who preached last Sunday and sort of set us up for uh, the new year and invited us to read Proverbs together in the month of January. So if you weren't here last week and you missed that invitation, well, it's not too late to catch up. Uh, today being January 6th, we just read Proverbs 6. So there's uh, 31 days in January, 31 Proverbs. So just a simple way for uh, people like me that need those simple little uh, words of guidance to uh, to kind of read together. So that's that's what we're doing in January and really appreciated that word. Matthew's story of the Magi, of the wise men from the east who came to worship the newborn king, has some parallels with some things that I read in the news this week. And those things are the wonder of God and creation on one hand and the horror of evil in the world on the other hand. On one hand, we have the wonder of God in creation. We have God reaching out even through the, the, the works of you know, <laughs> the outer space, his stars, to say, I'm going to invite people to worship this king. And so there are many you know, natural explanations for the star. There's many different things that we could point to. We talked about those last year. Um, but at some point, divine guidance is involved. There's, a, there's the, the inviting of these unlikely men who traveled far, and they were drawn to the specific place where Christ was, in a house with Mary and with Joseph and people around, whether regardless of where he was born. There they were, all together, visiting. The wonder of God in creation. The use of a star uh, to draw us. There's even a current movie out there that my kids uh, love to watch that kind of has the animals, you know, animated and doing all the things. It's a pretty good little film, but it's, it's just, it's a miracle the way that God reaches out to his people, even to very unlikely people. Uh, so also this week in the news, uh, the first ever photo image from the far side of the moon. Did y'all see that? And so it's, uh, you know, a milestone in space exploration, China landing a vehicle on the far side of the moon. So it's just kind of one of those unexplored things that we don't get to see just because of how things rotate and we don't ever get to see the far side of the moon uh, like we get to see the near side of the moon and me being the non-astrologer that I am did not even realize that or know that until I read it this week in the paper so also the wonder of God in creation we also have in this story the horror of evil in the world it was the first thing that stood out to me when I read the story this week and, and began to kind of work through the sermon. Herod being infuriated by the worship of the wise men. Remember, because he was he was tricked. Uh, the wise men came and they worshiped and then they were warned in a dream not to return that way. Herod finds out and he is angry. He's furious. He's so mad at the threat of another king that he murders orders the murder of all male children in Bethlehem and in that region who are two years and younger. Absolute horror, the capacity of human nature to land a vehicle on the moon and to mass murder infants. 
this week there was an article published about recent data from the Holocaust, specifically Operation Reinhardt, where in three months, three months, 1.32 Jews were murdered. Around a quarter of the entire population that died during those days happened in three months. The capacity of human evil and the capacity of human triumph. Right here together in the story. So who were these magi? They were advisors, they were astronomers, they were scientists, they were these kinds of folks. But the key word for these people who would have been paying attention to things, things like stars and angels and watching for cosmic signs, the key word for them, for us, is Gentile. These were Gentiles. They were not Jews. They had no business worshiping the king of the Jews. They were the most unlikely people to read about when you begin hearing Matthew's gospel. You know, you're sitting there in the first century and you're hearing this text and you're going, who? What? That can't be how it happened. Those guys weren't supposed to be the first ones to come and worship like that. There's no way. The Gentiles. So Epiphany, in one sense, and we talked about this last year, is a, is a celebration of the light that is dawned on all people. Gentiles, it's a focus on the Gentiles. It's sort of this, this uh, not only does the gospel go out to the ends of the earth, but at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, the world, the nations, all people come to Christ. So we have this coming to Christ and then Christ sending us out to go back to the, to the world. It's a beautiful picture of the light shining in all the places and maybe especially in places that we don't expect it to shine. Their worship and their reverence stands out. Uh, verse 12, as Caleb read, leads to Herod being tricked and then it provokes Herod's fury, exposes him, it exposes his motives, it exposes who he is and what he really wants and it shows us or what he's willing to do to keep up that image. And so we kind of begin exploring the scene of these magi as they arrive and worship the newborn king. First of all, their worship involves travel. You know, it's not always easy to get to worship, right? Worship involves some work sometimes, just to get here or to get there or where it is that we go uh, to worship. And many of you have had the experience of being in a foreign country where it's, logistically maybe much harder to just get to a place where other people gather. They walk up mountains and through deserts and these kinds of things. You know, I remember being in India and just all of the places that people walk from to get to worship. It's work. It's a chore sometimes just to get here, to get there. The second thing I think we notice about the wise men, the magi, is their joy. It's mentioned twice, right? Seeing the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy worship is a joyful thing even when it's hard it's filled with joy we know worship's not easy but it's something that fills us with joy and that we can connect in the midst in the presence of other people's joy the third thing that we notice about the wise men is that they fall down they fall down prostrate to worship the king they see the child, they see his mother, and they fall down and worship him. Posture, reverence, everything that they are 
They lay down in the presence of this king. And then the last thing we see them do uh, there before they leave and return a different way, paying attention to the dream, is they make an offering. They make an offering not just of themselves, so they get up and they present gifts to this new king, which was customary. But the specific gifts are mentioned to us. They're mentioned to us in Matthew's text. We don't always know why, and then it's picked up by hymn writers and preachers throughout the centuries. This, the hymn that we just sang, We Three Kings, talks through the different gifts that were given and how that relates to us as Christian worshipers and a Christ who would be born and ultimately then die on a cross. A very unique, different, unexpected kind of king. So I'd like to spend the remainder of the sermon talking about these gifts and kind of picking up on Caleb's prayer and invitation, you know, in the, in the subject of New Year's resolutions. I'm not a very good goal setter. I bristle at goals in general, uh, but we all tend to have something floating around in our mind when it comes to goals and something we want to do. Maybe just a reminder of a goal we've had for 30 years and we just want to keep doing it. And so that sometimes takes as much energy as a brand new goal that we've never tried before. But I'd like to invite us to a couple of practices, a couple of things involving worship that would be sort of allegorically related to gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I did not come up with this idea on my own, as with most of the things that I share with you. Thanks be to God, so you don't have to worry about trusting me 100%. In the work of preaching, sometimes we, we consult all sorts of sources to try to get at a proper interpretation of the Scriptures. Because many of the scriptures, as we read them in the English language, are very plain and very clear to us. And thanks be to God, a child can understand them. Our kids can understand the plain things about scripture. For God so loved the world that he sent and gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It doesn't get much plainer than that. But there are plenty of places in scripture where we just need a little light. Shine. We live in a different world. We live and speak a different language, and we need some help getting into the story, trying to find out some different facets of what's happening in this time. So, not only do we consult language and syntax and Greek and Hebrew, but we consult biblical interpreters. We consult modern interpreters who have studied the language their whole lives, and they write about the context of the ancient Near East. We also like to consult the tradition, the capital T tradition, not Methodist tradition necessarily or Baptist tradition or anybody else, but just the tradition that goes all the way back to before we had even denominations and things like that. And we look at people like Gregory the Great, who lived at the end of the second, or excuse me, of the sixth century, and he was writing and preaching and only lived to be about 60. But I read one of his sermons this week on the Epiphany, and he makes a big fuss about these gifts. And I thought, you know, if Gregory's writing about that, and he's a little closer to that time, and he understands the culture, and he can make a fuss about it allegorically, maybe I should make a fuss about it every once in a while. So we're always learning about the best way to convey passages of Scripture to one another as we grow in our faith. So, inspired by Gregory the Great, here we have a, a, an invitation to worship by looking at the gifts, the specific gifts that the wise men gave. An allegory for what we are able to give to God in worship. So I'd invite you to consider them with me. We consider them together and consider what gifts we can bring to the Christ who is born in us anew this year. The first one is gold. 
And in the song, We Free Kings Gold, is, is, it, it talks about uh, kings. It talks about uh, you know, that kind of anointing. It's also a reference to wisdom. And since we're talking about Proverbs and the New Year and desiring wisdom, acquiring wisdom, I think it's a good corollary. So Gregory is saying, you know, we bring to God the search and the acquisition of wisdom. We bring to God the desire for wisdom and the search to find it, the way that we allow it to shape our lives, to not just be carried along by whatever wind is blowing, but to actually be formed and shaped and take on, as Paul said, the mind of Christ. We grow in wisdom. Proverbs 3, 13 to 15. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gains understanding. For the gain from wisdom is better than the gain from silver. And the, the profit from wisdom is better than the profit from gold. She, wisdom, is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Wisdom outshines all the riches that we could possibly desire. Amberly and I were talking this week about wisdom as we were kind of reading these first few Proverbs and all the things we were confused about and all the things that we were uh, excited about and all the things that we understood but we weren't really sure we wanted to understand. And uh, we realized that, you know, wisdom is just, it's, it's anything but passive. We don't just sit around and become wise old owls because we get old. Time and age does not make us wise. But the aggressive, active search for wisdom as Kent talked about that last, last week, we do find very often, and maybe more often, wisdom as we get older. But very often we find wisdom in those younger. We find older people who don't have wisdom, who haven't spent their life searching and reaching for wisdom. We must seek it. It takes time, but time doesn't just automatically make it happen. We have to seek after it. Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart. He says, above all else, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. And what do we do when we have a well? Most of us don't have wells or springs like this anymore. You know, we may have a sub down in the ground, you know, up where I'm from, 400 feet in the ground around here, a little more shallow. We don't really have to monitor what falls down into the well. But in the old type of well or a cistern or or some around here, springs like that, you keep that well. You protect it. You monitor it. You make sure stuff doesn't get in there that will tarnish it, that will keep it from being what it's designed for, which is to give life. So we monitor our hearts. We monitor what we take into our minds and our hearts, what we watch, what we listen to, what we read, how we speak, how we listen. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the wellspring of life. This is an active pursuit, and so we monitor our hearts together. So the first one, gold, an invitation to wisdom, a great resolution. Second, frankincense. I know less about, well, I don't know that much about gold. I just know it's been around for a long time, and we kind of see it the same way as we've always seen it. Gold is something that everybody would want. Makes sense. Frankincense, you know, not so much. I doubt any of us have frankincense frankincense laying around in the house, but uh, it, it is perfumey. It's always been perfumey, and it was used in worship from way back. It was used in Jewish worship and pagan worship, all kinds of things. But frankincense, a very aromatic thing, it's very expensive in those days. So here we have this expensive perfume used in worship. And the scriptures compare our prayers 
to incense or to aromas like this. And so Gregory picks up on this and he talks about it in the sermon. You know, that we, we, our prayers form an offering to God, just like incense, just like something aromatic that would rise to our nostrils and give and make this pleasing smell. Our prayers are that way with God. Revelation 8 talks about that, how the prayers of the saints, the prayers of God's people, rise to the throne of God like a sweet-smelling incense. Psalm 141.2 Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. Like the psalmist is saying, let, let the words that I say and the things that are coming out of my heart that I don't even have words for, let my prayers be counted as incense. May they be a pleasing smell to you, God. As you receive my prayers, they rise to your throne. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. So I've taken this this week as just a call to prayer, an invitation to pray. To pray in the simplest way, to pray uh, maybe the Lord's Prayer, something that just keeps us moving in the life of prayer. For some of us, it may be an invitation to pause for 30 seconds and pray a prayer at a point in our work day. For others, you may feel called to a day of prayer or a season of prayer or a longer time of prayer at some point in your day or your week or your month or your year. Prayer alone. Prayer with others. Wrestling with the whole concept of prayer. Uh, that's one of the reasons we're doing this study in uh, January, February, just to look at this whole two-way street of prayer. It's not just us saying things to God and speaking to God, but it's us listening to what God would say to us. Finally, myrrh. Myrrh. So if I know not very much about gold and frankincense, I definitely don't know anything about myrrh. Never seen it, never smelled it, never used it. But we do know that in those days it was used as a burial spice. It was something that you would use before they had embalming as we know it today. They would use myrrh to uh, anoint care for the dead body. So it provides an allegory for death. On one hand, it provides an allegory for death, like the song sort of alludes to, that this is a king who was born as a baby and who would die a horrific death on a cross. So it's sort of foreshadowing Christ's death. It's also an invitation and a foreshadowing of our death, that you and I, as Christians, we must die. Paul talks about this a lot. Jesus talks about this, that our lives as we know them and our natural search for self-salvation must die. And if that part of us, if our flesh doesn't die, then we cannot be alive to God. Baptism symbolizes that. Communion symbolizes that. Prayer symbolizes that. Dying to self. Paul writes this in Galatians 2, 19-21. Through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify or disqualify the grace of God, for it is if righteousness were available through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Dying to the flesh, as Paul talks about, dying to self. Paul saying, I, I no longer live. 
but it's Christ that lives in me. I have laid down my old self. It's not just a dying to our sins and our failures and our disappointments and those things that we leave behind, but it's dying to where we find life in the present and in the future. Will I continue to strive and seek to save myself by any plan I might be devising, which I'm always devising some plan or another of self-salvation, some form or fashion? Will I trust that or will I lay down my life, deny myself, and say like Paul, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. Jesus said it this way later in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16 when he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me and become my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's this seemingly backwards mystery of the gospel that in losing, we win. And those who just seek to win, we lose. We lay down our life and our life is resurrected. We give away our old life and we receive a new life. It's a miracle. And it's not just a one-time thing. It happens every day. Or I should say the potential of it occurs every day. It's a continual thing that we do. We begin in baptism, yes, but we continue throughout our lives. If you're like me, you know, it's natural to feel, to feel like an unlikely person to bring these kinds of gifts saying, I don't know, I've never really been somebody who, I never think of myself as like a wise person. I don't even like to read. I don't really think of myself as a person of prayer. That's for those super holy people. I don't even know what you're talking about on that dying to self stuff. I think we find some encouragement this time of year with the wise men that if, if we feel unlikely, let me just tell you, that we're nowhere near as unlikely as those guys. And they demonstrate that in listening, being obedient, and just paying attention to what we know to pay attention to, God can speak to us. And God has reached out to us. And he has invited us to follow after him. Personally, I have felt a need this week for this call to worship. I've felt a need in my, even just in my body, in my soul, in my mind, in my heart, it's just like ringing like a bell going, Strebeck, wake up. This is you. This is your invitation. Follow the wise men. Die to yourself. Learn to pray. Don't worry about it. Gain wisdom. If you're going to worry about something, worry about finding wisdom. Don't be anxious about the other stuff. Worship is a response, absolutely, to God's goodness. God is the one who draws us to worship. It's not our idea. But worship is also an exercise of our free will. Worship is work. Some of the work looks like wisdom and prayer and denying ourselves. This is not work to earn our salvation or something like that. This is work to surrender. It's work to begin. It's work to continue. It's work to wake up. 
and to follow the example of the wise men. Fall down on our face and worship. Amen.